Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. We're very excited about today's teaching. The title is Paul's Teaching Concerning Differences According to Grace. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Open our eyes that we can see and our ears that we can hear and our heart that we can understand what the Word of God says. And then may we apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Jesus, speak now. May the Holy Ghost reveal to us what you want us to know, do, understand, and demonstrate. We'll receive it, release it to your people. From there, we'll be corrected, changed, blessed, led, and guided into the truth of living this Christian life for you. We ask it all in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ, who is also our High Priest, our Lord, and our Man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. We want to tell all of you that we appreciate your downloading our material. We hope you're uh, studying along with us, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, you can contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's Direct Messaging. We also want to remind you of our book, I Surrender. You can get it through Amazon or in your local bookstore. So we're looking into what Paul is teaching concerning the activity of the Spirit. Today we're going to look into Paul's teaching concerning the ministry of the Spirit as he teaches uh, the Romans and the church at Ephesus. We may not get to the church at Ephesus today, but we will be going there as we unfold this teaching. What are we searching for during this study? We're looking for information that will allow us to expose the offices and the works of the Holy Spirit. There are many ideas concerning the operation of the Spirit, some teaching a doctrine of a singular Spirit work that is begun when one is saved and then remains with all the presence and power required to keep the believer eternally. Then there is the more intense view of the office of the Holy Spirit. In this view, the Spirit functions during stages of growth and development and affords the believer not only presence and power, but evidence of communication. This communication is between the believer and God and is used in prayer, but there is a greater communication that is between Jesus, who is the man in the Godhead, and the believer, and this communication is relayed through the believer, by the Holy Spirit. So today we begin with Paul's speaking to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 4. For as many as we, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on ex exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. 
He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Clearly we see that all in Christ, all the born again, are believers of the same body. Well, this then accounts for the differences in denominational structure. Now, they are not divisions, as we so frequently attempt to imply. They are differences. But according to Paul, we're all members who function differently. Well, of course, we can accept this, not because of any other reason than Paul has just expressed it. Different does not imply wrong. It implies the work that is produced from understanding. That's a critical comment. Any person or group can only operate from the knowledge level that is present at the time they are attempting to produce and operate. For instance, if we look into the recent COVID issues that all of Americans and the world faced, we were told to wear masks, and we complied because that was what we were told by those we trusted as being in our best interest. So, then Americans who questioned the validity and the benefit of mask wearing were told to double mask. Of course, Americans were quick to identify that if they could breathe through the mask, the particles of this virus were so small uh, that the particles would have to work their way through the mask. Then there was the other issue. If the mask stopped the particles, then touching the mask still caused the virus to be on your body. And if the mask reduced the particles then the mask must be the thing holding the particles. So technically, the wearer went around all day spreading COVID by wearing the mask. Of course, these were issues and trainings that eventually were deemed as having no effect on protection from the virus. So what happened with the information once thought to be done to protect the American was found to be scientifically untrue. Well, <laughs> Americans lost faith in those who perpetrated such an act of control over their freedoms. Now, friends, spiritual things are no different. We'll only operate and function in the areas that we've been brought into by those of whom we allow to be our educators. They must be, they could be steeped in their doctrinal understanding. And it is highly possible that they've lived their entire life producing not a defense of the gospel, but a defense of their doctrine. This then serves to be different. It's not necessarily wrong as it has an understanding of how they view Scripture. Many follow and spend their lives then defending their doctrine, defending what they've been taught, defending how they were reared spiritually. 
Now, we see this same deal as it was produced in racial division and in uh, all of the trappings of racial divisions. But we watch that over the years as those who held to that identity of racial division have died and passed on. Now we see that there has been a uh, change in the way that men look at men. And we're going to go there and talk more about how these changes have happened, but we have to recognize that because we were steeped in a doctrine or a belief system, that that belief system has to be able to uh, change as we have deeper understanding and we come into deeper truths. Well, of course, this is different. It's not necessarily wrong how they have viewed the doctrine of Scripture. And, of course, Paul is telling us that in the end, we're all in one body, but we're doing it with different operational mechanisms. Now, here's the question. If we had known better, if we had known better early in the 18s and 1700s, if we had fought better, would we have developed, if we had understood more, would we have developed this sense of uh, racial division and racial lines? If we had known better, would we have been able to better understand, for instance, the operations of the COVID issues? Would we have readily worn the mask? Would we have readily taken the vaccine? Would we have readily locked ourselves down? If we had known better, if we had known what we know now, if we'd have had the information that we have now that would have differently medicated our ill, if we had the knowledge of precisely what was required, would we have function years, 200 years ago differently? Would we have functioned recently in the coronavirus differently? I think that based on the ideology of the day, we would be quick to say yes on all of these questions. We would say that we would do a similar scenario dealing with the racial issues dealing with the COVID issues, we would do them extremely differently if we knew what was happening and that the information that was being presented, particularly in the COVID issue, was neither scientific or trustworthy. So is there a difference in the understanding of spiritual information? Of course there is. Would those who are living in the different doctrines operate differently if there was a shift in the information? I believe that the Bible teaches this to be so. The Jews that believed made a shift from the law into a new law of life. 
The Gentiles made a shift from idols to Christ. Those who were saved under the preaching of John the Baptist, which was the word of repentance, shifted into the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, men make shifts all the time as they change opinions. What changes? What makes that shift? New information. Well, we could see it through history. As I just mentioned, the racial situation as it has transformed 200 years later. We've seen it in the world of science. We've seen it in the world of industry. We've seen it in the world of sports. It's in the world of homemaking. Changes from new information. It's in the world of transportation. On and on and on we go with inventions and innovations that alter the ways that we live and the ways that we do life. My friend, this is everywhere. But in the world that we know of as the church, we do not tend to make these understandings of innovations and understandings of revelations. We attach ourselves to a doctrine and we remain static in that doctrine awaiting the coming of the Lord. My friend, this is somewhat sad because we see that in every other area there is in fact growth and development. There is the finding of new information. There is the seeking of new information. And all of that new information somehow seems to impact the way we live and what we refer to as the quality of life. Well, Paul says in Romans 12 that we are different. So we have many different ways of dealing with the same issue, and that's God. And of course this boggles the mind in this respect because we are different as Paul speaks it. We have missed the message of Paul. And you would say to me, Pastor Mike, what message is that? Well, that message is that there is a growth mechanism that should afford you the opportunity to elevate your life, elevate love, elevate your belief system, and all of it is built into Paul's teaching. Now, I'm going to expose it to you during this study. The question is, will the exposure of truth cause anyone to question their doctrine? Or will it drive you into the defense of your doctrine and transcend the word of truth? That's a very good question because that is the prevailing attitude among our church world today. Instead of identifying truth, we desire to remain in the differences of doctrine. Paul is speaking with the intention in Romans 12 to enlighten and unify the church. 
So he does so by stating that the church with its many members in fact are one body. The phrase is we are members of one another. This closes any gap of division and recognizes the differences. But the differences do not segregate one group from another because we are still members of the body of Christ. Now watch what Paul says here because this is of critical understanding. As we consider the differences that exist in our church world, Paul says that one of the differences concerns the gifts that are operational. These gifts are related to how deeply one seeks, looks, dives, desires to know about grace. Of course, now in our teaching, we know that grace, and we have taught that grace has four parts. There is favor, there is divine influence, there is the way God does things, and the open heaven of judgment where every promise that is in Jesus Christ becomes yea and amen. Here we see the influence and the impact of grace and the way God does things being referred to by Paul. The direction he's taking us is that the deeper we pursue grace, the more influence we will uncover. Now let's look at a difference. Look at this as a difference and not a division. Some see grace only in the light of favor. Here they believe that they possess the concept of being saved and therefore identify with Christ in salvation. This, of course, becomes a cross-based manifestation of grace, where the cross is the central theme of their teaching. This, of course, has no negatives involved. The cross is, in fact, the central theme of Scripture. It can be tracked from Genesis to Revelation. A person can and will become a member of the body of Christ by having the revelation of the cross and the work that was accomplished there revealed to them. Now the process of grace then becomes the point of contact whereby one faith engrafts them into the family, causes them to become a citizen of the heavenly order. Once believed, a deeper grace should begin to develop. Here we will begin to walk the walk of influence. In influence, we will locate the fact that the work of Jesus Christ extended beyond the cross. The first means of the grace of influence is at the tomb. Here we die to our flesh. We crucified that flesh upon the cross and we receive favor. We bury the flesh in the tomb and we reimagine the influence of grace upon our soulish realm. What's the result? Well, we begin to behave differently. The fruit of a new spirit is manifested from us. We show a difference. This, of course, is the new man as the old man has passed away. 
We being made by force, able to meet the standard of God that was won for us by Christ during his death and during his time in the tomb. Now there comes a question concerning the move from favor to influence. What is that? Well, when a person finds favor, should he transition into a deeper understanding of grace? What happens if he says he has found favor, but there is nothing that would define the apprehension of the grace that has supposedly resulted in favor? Then, favor has not accomplished the desired effect, according to 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. For grace to have taken its effect upon one who seeks, there must be a change of character. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So favor changes things. If grace and faith will not correspond with a new man, then there has been no new creation. Therefore, there will be no progress into influence. The person would need to be re-instructed concerning repentance and, of course, the advocacy of Jesus Christ and find the grace that will solve their human desires. For us to insist that this person has goods which are not manifested is not a credit to the cross, the death thereof, the pain and the anguish thereof, or to the grace that the cross released. Actually, it becomes a misrepresentation of truth. Therefore, we present a false sense of security which leaves the person ill-prepared for the day of the Lord. This is dangerous, as the lives of those who we have passed out supposed favor toward, giving it to them as if it were candy, will be held against the account of those who misrepresent truth. It seems that we have in our zeal forgotten the price that was paid to provide freedom from the bondage of sin. Now, once the favor has been received, there has been a second work of grace, of course. We know that this second work is influence. From here, we become a follower of Jesus Christ. Before we can follow him in prayer, in the word, and in his deeds, we must follow him to burial and resurrection. Baptism is the ordinance that has been taught by Jesus to verify that there has been grace extended for the believer to die to his flesh and to be clothed in new garments. This is essential understanding, friends. Baptism is not an act that we uh, do or place 
after we have said a prayer to be forgiven. It becomes entrance into a deeper condition of grace. It's our following Jesus to the tomb. It is our laying down our soul. It is the relinquishing of our flesh to the grave so that the sin that was in us and weighing us down is dead. Then it is the understanding that we are raised by power. What is that power? Well, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 that it's the Spirit. What does that power do? It goes into a deeper influence of grace. It raises the person in such a way that they do not appear to be the same. Now remember, Jesus came out of the resurrection and they didn't recognize him because he did not appear to be the same. When you come out, you'll have new clothing. They come out and have new power. Why? Because they're under the influence of grace through the Spirit. They have come out and been reproved of sin, righteousness, and of the judgment that was attached to sin and provided the judgment that is attached to righteousness. We come out of the water following operating in a new gift of grace. Think about this, my friend. We lose sin and the judgment and all of the effects of those. We take on righteousness and the effects of a new judgment. Therefore, this has changed our class in the spiritual world. We have now become heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What a blessing. This grace has extended to us a great blessing. How did it occur? Well, we simply followed Jesus on his journey. We did not and cannot remain at the cross. Favor is the beginning. We must never teach or think that favor is the conclusion. If we do, we crucify Christ afresh with our own life. Now, is there more to influence? Of course there is. There is grace that grows as Jesus Christ becomes our high priest. The influence of his priesthood and subsequently your priestly position is quite immense. Here we learn the methods and the mechanisms of true worship. In the priesthood, the connection is made between grace and the blood. Here the priest learns how to worship effectively through the influence of grace as it is applied to the power of the blood. The blood is the agent that was shed for the remission of sin. Sin has its bondage across the spectrum of man's existence. So any weakness in man, such as sickness, disease, personality issues, mental issues, and so on, are all associated with the origin of sinful man. They are embedded in the human side of man. So God, in his divine plan, had to have a force that was greater than the original sin. That force had to be strong enough to eliminate sin and not just cover it. From this, we locate the word of the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. You see the word made? Watch it again. That he might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
we might be made. Here you see the force that was applied to Jesus by the appropriation of sin upon him. But then we see Paul state that a force greater than the force applied by sin was also placed upon him. When it was sin, that sin became eradicated and the force of righteousness prevailed. What was the residual force that remained in the earth to express this radical transformational force? It was the blood. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 through 24, And almost all things are by law purged with blood. Without shedding of blood there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, not to appear in the presence of God for us. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. So the blood was the ingredient that left the force of the transformation in the earth. When coupled with the influence of grace, man could be given the privilege of worship. We being priests had the open door of the tabernacle to sprinkle the blood of our worship and enter into the presence of God. How did this happen? Paul tells us in Romans 12 and verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the portion of faith. Now before I go any further, I want to share something that will bring this into the possibility of better understanding. Look at verse 3 of Romans 12. Here we see how the phrases of grace are different. For I say, through the grace that is given me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now could we all agree that Paul operated in a deeper grace? He operated in a deeper grace than those to whom he is writing. Paul was the one who exposed the work of grace to the church. He had a deeper relationship with grace than anyone to whom he spoke then or to whom he speaks today. He says, through the grace given to me. Now, he has experienced the depths of grace such as no other. So when he begins to speak on grace, he has to speak from a much further advanced position than those to whom he is speaking. And for this reason, Paul makes that expression. He said, I have an understanding that must be identified. When I speak, I've been in the depths of this work. Can you now come through this process? But you must understand that this is a process. Paul is sharing that with us when he makes the statement, for I say through the grace that is given to me. He says through this grace given to me, I've experienced a greater depth of grace. So as he begins to teach on grace, 
He has to speak from a much further advanced position. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I have an understanding that must be identified. When I speak, I've been in the depths of this work. I'm going to stop right there for today because I'm a little over time. Father, bless your people. Open our eyes. We'll give you praise in Jesus' name. God bless you all until we have the opportunity to speak again.